Well, guys, I just want to say welcome. Welcome to tonight. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Hey, we're family. We're leaning in. Guys, my, my hope tonight is that, like the past few weeks, it's that you would leave here tonight uh, marked. You would leave here tonight encouraged and equipped to know God and to make him known. That you would, you would catch the heart, you would catch the heart of what it means to be a disciple in the 21st century in Bossier, Louisiana, of all the places. But why not? Why not his name be proclaimed here? Why not? His kingdom come here and now. Why not? And so as you know, on Sunday, uh, a few Sundays ago, we talked about, we're in this series called Grow, Give, Gather, and we're in our year to advance. Come on, anybody ready to advance? Yeah, me too. And we've been looking at this idea of what is a disciple. Everybody say disciple. What is a disciple? A disciple is simply this. It's a learner. It's a learner. A disciple is someone who's consumed with the idea of being like someone else. It's not just I don't want to know what they know. I want to feel what they feel. I want to think how they think. I want to live the way they lived. To be a disciple in the biblical times, you followed in the dust of the rabbi's feet. You went where they went. You went where they slept. You, you ate what they ate. You listened to the way they talked, and you talked like they talked. You were consumed with this idea of being like your rabbi. And so disciples of Jesus are no different. To be called a disciple of Jesus, you were consumed with being like him. I'm not content with who I am and, and what my mom and dad have called me and what society has put on me. I'm consumed with this idea of being like Jesus of Nazareth. That's it. And that's the attitude and the heart posture of a disciple. But the problem is this, how do we become like him? We're 2,000 years removed from him. We have a book, right? Not a podcast, not a video. Where is he? He's spirit. We don't see him. And additionally, we have our life, don't we? The car, the, the note, the kids, the wife, the husband, the job. You're, you're four lights down on airline and you're cussing. Life. And so discipleship really becomes not a consuming process, but a category of our life. And so we call ourselves a, dis a disciple, a nominal, and by name a disciple of Jesus, but our lives, what we say, are we consumed with it? We've categorized it. Because again, it feels so distant, I don't feel enabled, and my life is way too busy. That's most of us in the room. What we've found is this, is that discipleship is not as hard as we think in the 21st century. Discipleship is this. Discipleship is beholding Jesus through reflection. Contemplation, the mind, the head. It's about belonging to Jesus through repentance. What we talked about last week, right? The heart. And it's about behaving like Jesus through reaching. It's about the hands. Where scripture is central, community is necessary, and the Holy Spirit is the means. That is discipleship. And it's something that each and every one of us can commit our lives to no matter what season and what stage that we're in. We can commit to this life of being consumed like him. Last Wednesday, we unpacked this idea of belong. Everybody say belong. We looked at how it is only with unveiled faces that we truly behold God. 
and that we must take off the veil, the veil of self-effort. Feeling like we only can come to God when we feel good enough. And so we wear the veil. We're like Martha, busy, distracted with doing for God rather than just being with him and letting him behold us with all of our weakness and frailty. We take off the veil, the veil of shame, of not feeling worthy and good enough before him. We take off the veil. We take off the veil of spiritual dullness. We would fight for our hearts to always be tender towards his Holy Spirit, tender towards what God is saying and doing. We wouldn't be left in the dark. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. My disciples know what I sound like. People who are consumed with being like me, they can really be like me, and they really are near me. They have unveiled hearts. It's the act of repentance. It's the act of saying, God, I was going one way, but now I want to go your way. I'm going to take off the veil. It's letting down your hair. It's the PJs you put on at your house, but you you dressed your best to come. And so we asked last week that you would ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, search me. Read through Wesley's accountability questions. We put them on the screen. Stay in the word. Confess constantly to one another and make a holy confession. Declare God's word. And you remain unveiled. But tonight I want us to spend some time together looking at behaving like Jesus. And so again, we're going to go back to our core scripture here that we've been working with the last couple weeks. It's still the same. And we're going to go to the words of arguably the greatest disciple of Jesus who ever lived, Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. He said this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Those that don't know, Paul in just a few sentences is explaining his entire discipleship method. How do I get somebody to look like Jesus? And each of us have that in our life, don't we? We all have people in our life, dare not us, but we all have people in our life who are like, man, I wish they would just look, if they would only knew Jesus, if they only look like Jesus. And this is Paul's way, this is Paul's discipleship method, that with an unveiled face we would behold Not just glance, but behold, contemplate, reflect on the glory, who God really is. And as a result, we would be transformed. Not just reformed in our behavior, but transformed on the inside. And we would begin to resemble him. We would look like him. This is by the Spirit. Again, I believe that as we look at these words, as as we've seen the past couple weeks, that we see the genius of God's way. And we see that in, in in the midst of our many responsibilities, we can actually become like him. We can actually become like Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. We can. Paul said this, you're going to be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Everybody say glory. Glory. You know, in church we use that word a lot, right? Glory to God. (laughs) Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory. (laughs) A lot of songs about glory. Often we don't understand what it means. What is glory? And why is Paul saying that we're going to be transformed from one degree of glory to another? What is is he talking about? What is glory? The word glory in the Greek is doxa. That's where we get the word doxology. It's doxa, glory. Glory is this. Glory is what God does in the world to reveal who he is. Glory, God's glory is what he does in the world, his action, his good works to show who he truly is. It's his reputation. 
It's his fame. Glory is the beauty of who God is. Think about the reputation of God. Glory, again, it's the good works that God does to show who he is. And here's the fact. We were made for his glory. We were made for his reputation. To show who he truly is, to show his beauty. You and I were made for the glory of God. Look at Psalm 19.1. It says, the heavens proclaim the what? The glory of God. Here's what they proclaim. They proclaim, look at the works of God. They say a lot about who he is, glory. This is who God is. This is what he's like. We look at the heavens, and what we see is his glory. What we see is this is, his, this is God's reputation. He has a reputation of making things magnificent and beautiful. He has a reputation of causing wonder to be struck in our hearts. You ever seen the Grand Canyon? You ever looked out into the ocean? Look at the, the depth of blue. You ever looked at the stars in the sky? You ever learned, you learned about it in high school, about the shape of your DNA? Glory. The works of God point towards his reputation, who he is, what he's like, and we call that glory. It's his glory. We were made for the glory of God. Psalm 24, verses 1 through 2 says, The earth is the Lord's, and all that is in it, the world, and those who live in it. For he has founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Genesis 1.27 says this. It says, so God created in his own image, mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Everything was made for the glory of God because everything was made by God and belongs to him. And it's a picture of who God really is, and that includes you and I. You and I were made to picture and show and display the beauty and the majesty of who he is. We belong to him. Come on, put your hand on your heart right now and just say this confession with me. I was made for the glory of God. I was made for the glory of God. See, all of creation does this, but it's us who were made in his image, who were meant even more to reflect the beauty and the dignity and the majesty of God. We were made to show his authority and his beauty of, of who he is on earth. We were designed to do good works that showed his nature and showed royal authority. We were made to show what God is really like. The most beautiful, the most awesome, the most brightest. That was how you were made. You were not made just to be like your mom and be like your dad and to walk in their ways. You weren't just made to walk in the way that culture has made you. And taught you to treat others depending on their color of skin, their status, or how they treat you. You were ever made to live and to display through the way you live your life the glory of God, his reputation. You were meant to be a reflection of what God is really like. That's, that, was your, that was your original intent. The world should be able to look at your family, look at how you treat others, following your footsteps and say, wow, this is what God is really like. You were made for that. See, discipleship is not an option, it's a mandate. It's the only way. It's the only way to ever get back to what we originally designed to be and do, to reflect the glory of God, to show what God is really like. To be someone who doesn't mar his reputation, but actually add to it. But the fall. Ever since the world 
fell, sin entered it. Now we don't see God clearly. Now he feels far away. Now we don't reflect who God really is anymore. The image is marred. We are a mirror that's dulled. That's why Paul says that. We're beholding the glory of the Lord as though in a mirror. A mirror that doesn't perfectly reflect, but what's happening, that image is getting clearer and clearer as the Holy Spirit does what transforms us. The image is being restored. But instead, instead of giving God glory and living for his reputation, we live for our own, don't we? We build our kingdom. We say, look at the car I have. Look at the house that I have. Look at the health that I have. Look at me. I feel good, look good, and do all that I can and anything I can. Look at my glory. And then we die. And then the glory fades. And then you rise another generation who don't know God, who only give themselves glory. And this is what happens, is that when we choose to give ourselves glory, what happens? We start pitting against one another. It's what it's about. The image has fallen. Sin has entered the world. Because we don't live for his glory. We don't experience the created order of things. We don't taste of the goodness that God has, has given to us. And so what happened in the fall is this. We gave up our authority by giving it over to Satan, who is the God of this world. That's what we read last week, that the God of this world has the power and the authority to do what? To blind the hearts of men and women. To dull them. He has authority to do that because we gave it. Not only that, we gave up our dignity and our majesty by becoming slaves. You were made to be royalty, and we gave it over to be what? Slaves. To trade it all for pleasure and power and the right to be God. Now we don't reflect the goodness and the majesty and the dignity of God. It's the boss who walks all over his people or her people. It's the woman who sells her body to feed her addiction. She was never meant to do that. It's the husband who squanders the dignity and the authority of marriage by cheating on his wife. It's the lies we tell to escape consequences or to impress other people. It's the one who loves justice so they do good works to prove something to themselves and to God. It's, it's a distorted image that doesn't live for the glory of God but lives for their own glory. And it's a marred one at that. So we see creation and humanity. We see glimpses of God. We see glimpses of the goodness of God in humanity. But glimpses, not the fullness, until in steps Jesus. He steps into the scene. And we see that Jesus is the glorious one. Hebrews 1.3 says, he is the reflection of God's glory. The exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. Jesus radiates the brilliance of God's reputation. To behold Jesus is to behold all that God is. When we see Jesus, we see the glory of God. When we see Jesus, we see the good works that shows who God really is. That's what Jesus came for, was to clear up the reputation of God by giving a clear picture of what he's really like. This is why he said in John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his, only, only, his, gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Let me clear the picture. Here's the good works of God, that he sent his one and only son. And what does it say about God? That he so loves the world. It's the glory of God. 
That's why Jesus came. And when we see Jesus, we see the glory of God. We see the reputation of God put at hand. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. We see who God really is. He is the good works that shows who God is. This is why he said of himself in John 14, 19, he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's why when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you read through the Gospels of, of the life and the ministry and the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, you're getting a picture of Jesus rewriting, reorienting people's image of who God really is. He comes on the scene, and even the religious don't handle him right. People are gawking at him. People don't know what to do with Jesus because he's God's glory, radiating, disrupting a fallen world in a marred image. It's Jesus. He's the glorious one, him and him alone. And see, even when I make that statement, it offends our senses. It offends our senses. Because there, there are two people in the room. There, there are somebody, there are some in the room where we, we want to be on the throne. We want to be the glorious one. And we don't want him to be the glorious one. So we, we, we make him lesser. We see him lesser. And that's why it offends you. Some of you, like there's a prick in you, right? Like, ah, I don't like that. That's the pride and the ego. That's the flesh being rubbed against, being pressed. Ah, because we want to be glorious. But there's only one who's truly glorious. There's only one who radiates brilliantly the nature of God and all of his dignity and all of his majesty and all of his power and authority. There's only one, it's Jesus. He said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. What we find about Jesus is that Jesus lived for the reputation of God. He cared a lot about the reputation of God, God's glory. He lived for the glory of the Father. And he did this by living in obedience to God's will, for God's reputation, God's glory. Look at Luke 22. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be taken by a crowd. Guards of the high priest with clubs and torches. And as he's kneeling down in prayer, we see one of his most vulnerable moments. But look at his life. He says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus cared about the glory, the reputation of the Father. He cared about his will. He cared about his way. He cared about him. John 17, 4 says this. I glor- this is, this is Jesus' priestly prayer before he's betrayed. This is his high prayer. Everyone should read John 17. It's the prayer of Jesus. You want to really listen to somebody's heart? Be in the room when they pray. And we have written the words of what Jesus prayed in John 17. Read John 17, the prayer of Jesus. You get a picture and a tone of his heart. This is what he said. He said, I glorified you on earth. He's talking to God. He's praying. I glorified you on earth. I lived for the reputation of your name. I claimed that when people saw me, they saw you, and I did it well. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. Why? Because the Father's plan is what leads to that. John 13, 31. This is after the betrayal of Judas and before he goes to the prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane. 
He says this in John 13, 31. He says, when he had gone out, Judas, Jesus said, now the Son of Man has been glorified. And God has been glorified in him. What I want you to see is that Jesus lived for the reputation of God. And that tells us a lot about how to behave like Jesus. Behaving like Jesus looks like that. It looks like living for God's reputation. Everywhere you go, you should always ask, did I represent God well there? You want to be like Jesus? You want to behave like him? It starts with this mindset. My reputation's not on the line. It's his. And the life I live, the way I behave, it is tempered with this question. Did I show you, did I show others what God was really like? Did I do God's will here? Did I do God's will there? Listen, we could take this question and not just, we could bring it to our workplace, to the people I work with and work for and the people who work for me. Am I showing God's reputation by the way I treat people? Do I just put on a front with church people and then I'm in line at Chick-fil-A and because they didn't go fast enough, I'm cussing under my breath and I have an attitude with with a lady who's trying to check out my chicken sandwich? But if I'm going to live like Jesus, if I'm going to behave like Jesus, then i got to live for not my reputation, but God's reputation, God's glory. And this is how we are transformed from glory to glory. Every time we're given an opportunity to show God's reputation, we get more and more better at it. And it just, it's not about the big moments. It actually becomes about the little moments. I love what Paul says. You increase by glory in a degree. And so, yeah, the, the test you're failing at work, you may be winning at church. Good. But God says it's not enough that you just put on a mask at church. I need you to be that kind of person with your wife and children, with your husband and your children. I should go home, and when I leave for work in the morning, I should ask myself, did I represent God well with Samuel and Luke and Haley? Did I do it well, God? Did I live for your reputation with my closest people in life who see the raw me? Did I do it? That's a whole other degree of glory. And many of us, we're, we're, in it, we're, we're starting somewhere. And this is not to condemn anybody about where they're at. My God, no. I have not arrived. <laughs> this is just to say that that's, this, is what, this is what God's trying to push us and develop us and transform us into, is to be the kind of people that live for God's reputation in every area of our lives. The way we treat our wife, our, our husband, our children, our workplace, the way we treat the people who mean nothing to us. We're constantly asking this question of, did I represent God well there? Did I do that? And that's the mindset of Jesus. We live for God's reputation, and we do this. It's not this nebulous thing. We live for God's reputation by simply doing this, by doing God's will. Very straightforward. When we obey God's word, we bring glory to him. Obeying God's word, following God's way of doing things. That's what this is about. I'm not talking about religious preachers that are on the side saying, repent or go to hell. You know, I'm, t- I'm, talk- I'm talking about people who carry the ways of God, who are familiar with the ways of God. That have got it from putting their nose in the book and studying and waiting and listening and beholding and belonging. And they find themselves what? Living for God's way. And this brings glory to God. It protects his reputation. Doing what God says God's way, it shows off his brilliance, doesn't it? 
It shows off the wisdom and the power of God. It builds a good reputation around God. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Let the glory of who I am in your life radiate brilliantly like Christ. So that what? Others would see your good works and what? Give what to God? Glory, 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 doxa, that you would build a reputation around God. This is who God really is. Remember, we live in a fallen world where we don't know God rightly. It's marred, it's twisted. And as God's people who live for God's reputation, we're showing what God is really like by the way we live. And so he says this, let your light shine. Let your good works be known. So what? That they would see the reputation of their Father in heaven. And they would recognize it and say it. This is why he ends, he ends one of his hardest, hardest sermons Jesus ever preached, Matthew 5. He ends it with this, be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Carry the ways of the Father and display it and show it. I love that Jesus used the word light. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. So much of the ways of God, it's, it really is the brilliance of it. God's glory and reputation is literally on a written word. You can literally go to God and say, God, you said, you said to do that to that person, and I did. You literally wrote it down. You want to talk about glory, you want to talk about reputation, you put it in a book. We have to let, but this, this presents some challenges, I think, for each of us. We have to let God define for us what is good. And this is with a fall in the garden, right? I get to determine, I get, be, I get to be the one to determine what tree is actually good and what isn't. God lied to me. So behaving like Jesus, living for God's reputation, his glory, it's by living by his word, but this is the thing. We have to let God tell us what is good. Matthew 5 through 7 is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's all about Jesus correcting our sense of good. He constantly says, you've heard it said that, but I say unto you. He's correcting their sense of good. And that's what he needs to do for us. You can't behave like Jesus, right? Because a lot of us do this, right? We're like, well... <laughs> We go around saying this is what Jesus would do, and Jesus would not do that. And we tell ourselves we did really good. You know, it's like, I didn't cuss him out, though, so there you go. God's glory. It's like, is that what God's like? This is what God is really like. That's what's on the line. It's his reputation. It's his glory. And we show God's glory. We live for his reputation when we, what? we live it rightly, when we let God determine what is good for us. Jesus set a high, high bar if you read sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Any disciple of Jesus is going to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and read it religiously. It's his sermon. It's his opinion about the, the matters of your life. You want to behave like Jesus? Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And read it once, read it twice, read it a thousand times. Read it every day this year. Read it. Read it constantly if you can. Well, that's a bit, that's a bit much. Well, yeah, because it's a consuming process. I want to know the ways of God so I can live for God's reputation. I can live for his glory like I was always meant to. And that means i got to let God tell me what is right. 
In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he talks about money. He talks about enemies. He talks about the guy at work that you want to punch. He talks about marriage and divorce and hard-heartedness and forgiveness and anger and lust and temptation. He talks about all the things that every single one of us, we pretend we don't face, but we all face. He talks about it all. And wherever your line is of what is good and you're like, I'm acting like Jesus, he says, it's actually over there. Don't, don't, don't settle with where you think my reputation needs to be. I, I'm actually like that. I want to behave like him. Here's the other part of this is this. We don't do our own version of good works just for ourselves, right? We don't just do this. We don't do good works just for our own reputation. We do it for who? For God, the reputation of him, his glory. This is why we can get in the trap of doing religious things and developing a religious pride. I went to Bible study on Wednesday night, and I didn't have to. I helped a guy when I didn't need to. This is why Jesus said that. He said what? In Matthew 5, 6, and 7. When you go to pray, don't do it in front of everyone else. Don't put on a show. Because you're not doing it for my reputation, my glory. You're doing it for your own. When you fast, don't walk around and be like, I'm fasting. Do it in secret. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I can't, I can't emphasize enough. God's way, God's word is the light that truly shines before others. And when we get into it and we live it out, we let God set the tone for what is good. And we do it for his reputation. That's letting our light shine. And the good works will go. And people will give glory to the Father. They will say, wow, this is what God is really like. It's something out of this world. Live for God's reputation and glory. But I love this is that when we live for God's reputation, for his glory, when we obey God's word, there's another dynamic to this, is that we're actually showing that we love God. John 14, 15, he says, Jesus said this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll know my ways and I'll walk in them. You'll behave like me. You'll live like I live for the reputation of the Father. If you love me, you'll love what I love. And I love the ways of God. Keep my commandments. Let me tell you what's good. 1 John 2, 3 says this. Now by this we may be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. You know, we talk about beholding, right? Right? All this is connected. When we truly behold, how you know you've truly beheld God? That's what he's saying. We can be sure that we know him. We can say that. I've beheld God. You know that you did this. Why? When the ways of God become more and more attractive. The ways of God become more and more what? Glorious. I want his way. I, I, want, his, I want to live for his reputation. 1 John 5.3 says this. Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments, they're not burdensome. They're not burdensome. Loving God means keeping his commands. What Jesus is inviting us into is one of the, it's the summation of the whole Bible, isn't it? Love God, love others, the greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love him with everything. And how we love him is that this, God, I, I live for your reputation. That's how we show we love God. 
It's not my reputation. It's his. And I want to let my light shine. I want to behave like Jesus behaved. We behave like Jesus when we live for God's reputation, for good works, obeying God's word. We show what God is really like, and we show that we love God. That's true. But what is exactly God up to? What is God's will? What is the mission? What was Jesus doing? We want to behave like Jesus. We got the why, don't we? Yeah, we know why he was doing He was living for the Father's reputation, for God's glory. Absolutely. But what was he up to? What exactly was he doing? How did he do that? See, I think if we attempt to behave like Jesus, the what, without knowing the why, then I think we end up with a lot of misguided attempts that are frustrating. So it's important to understand what was Jesus' mission, who he was. And Jesus in Luke 4, he writes down his mission statement. I'm sorry, he doesn't write it down, he reads it. It says this, that when he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And he said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Then all of the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he said something scandalous. He said, then he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is spelling out in quoting Isaiah, he's spelling out a couple things. One thing he's doing is he's claiming to be Israel's Messiah, the hope of the nation. He's claiming to be that, clearly. But also what he's proclaiming is that a new era has begun. That the kingdom and the culture, everybody say culture. The culture of heaven is here. What he's saying is this, I've come to show what God is really, really like. This is what God is really like. This is what God is up to to restore the authority that was given up to Satan and the dignity that was lost in our enslavement to sin. I've come to restore. This is God's glory and the image of God is that he would restore the image of God on people's lives. Everybody say restoration. You want to know what Jesus is up to? It's restoration. To restore. Look look at this. He's addressing Four things that plague all of us, plague humanity, poverty, bondage, suffering, oppression. I'm going to give good news to who? The poor, who feel trapped. I'm going to release the captives, those who feel bound by life circumstances. I'm going to give sight to the blind, those who are doing without, those who are suffering. I'm going to restore. And I'm going to give freedom to the oppressed. The culture of heaven, the glory of God, what God is really like, the reputation of God is restoration. It's reversing the world's order. It's turning it upside down. And Jesus, as you read about his life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is how he behaved. This is what he did. He turned upside down the world's take on authority and leadership. He restored leadership back to servant leadership. That's what he said about himself in Mark 10, 45. He said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. He lived a life of service, showing that the culture of heaven is not about lording over people, but serving under people. Using your power and your authority, not for your own gain, but for other people's gain. So that they would see the glory, the reputation of God. Jesus turned upside down the world's thought on justice and revenge. Restoring response to injury like vengeance and turning it into forgiveness. Matthew 5, 44, he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Restoration, 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 bringing about peace, not revenge. Creating a way where God is glorified and man's goodness is able to run free. Jesus turned upside down the world's value on people groups. Restoring oppressed, backward roles, back to God-honoring, image-bearing roles. I mean, look at women. This is a culture, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I mean, women were just right above slaves. I mean, they, they, were, they were second, third-class citizens. And yet, what do we see? We see it was women who were entrusted with the news of the resurrection. We see a woman, a Samaritan woman at a well, turned into an evangelist. One with a bad reputation, giving a message about a, someone who has a great reputation. Children, children were seen less than that. They were seen as nothing, annoyances. They were abused and a lot of other things I won't mention up here. And yet what did Jesus say about the children? Let them come to me. Make time for them. Make space for them. He even looked at grown men and he said, unless you become like a child, you can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. He's turning it upside down. He's turning it upside down. He's restoring what was lost, what was perverted and dysfunctional, what was fallen and marred. He's restoring it. That's the agenda of God. That's the agenda of Jesus. What does he do when he starts? He addresses racism. Samaritans are pointed out. It's the good Samaritan, not the good Jew that the story was told. The hero of the story is someone who's hated among the Jews. Non-Jews and, and Gentiles were celebrated. Only two times was Jesus ever marveled at someone's faith, and one of them was from a centurion, Jew, uh, uh, a centurion Gentile uh, Roman soldier who were despised, who were the oppressors, and yet Jesus celebrated them. Jesus turned upside down the world's conclusion on suffering. He's restoring fatalism to hope. You're always going to be that way. You're always going to be lame. You're always going to be blind. You're always, you're, you're, you're always going to be that addict. You're always going to be that way. That's your story. Your daddy was like that, and you're just like that. And what we see in the life of Jesus is he gives the blind sight. The lame can walk. People with marred reputations can stand up tall. The woman caught in adultery said, I don't condemn you anymore. Go and sin no more. She can walk in a newness of life. Restoration. Restoration in every part that touches human life. And it was all for God's reputation. Look at John 9. This story, it says, as he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? That this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Who's responsible for this? They'd already accepted the, the fatalism, the, the declaration of the world upon this man. He's always going to be blind, so let's go back to why he is blind. 
but he's always going to be blind. And I love that Jesus said, neither this man or his parents sinned. He was born blind, so what? So that the works, God's works might be revealed in him. That the reputation of God, what God is really like, may be put on display. He's a God of restoration. If you don't know the rest of that story, he makes mud with spit, puts on the guy's eyes. Guy's travel, guy travels like a mile or two down the road to a, a pool, bays in his eyes, and he can see. No more fatalism, hope. Because God is a God of restoration. That's what God is up to. And so to behave like Jesus, we know now the why, don't we? Is that he lived for God's reputation. He lived to show what God was really like. That's how we behave like him. But not only that, we also find that behaving like Jesus means we live for others' restoration. This is how the reputation of God is put on display. It's through you seeing other people around you who have a marred image, who are, who are, who are hopeless, who, who are living under the standard that God has not put on them. It's when you walk up to them and you see restoration and reconciliation that the reputation of God is made known. This is what God is really like. The mission of Jesus should be our mission. Good news to the poor, release to the captives, sight to the blind, and we wouldn't settle for anything less. We want to see others restored. We want to see others brought back to what they were originally meant to walk in. This should be our passion. And we wouldn't judge the people that cut us off in traffic and the people that we work with. We wouldn't look at our neighbors in any judgment away, but we would long and, and believe that God is doing this in their life, that he is restoring them. Instead of talking about someone else's marriage, we should long to see God restore that marriage and that union. Instead of putting up with the world's periods on things and, and what even medical doctors say, we should always leave room for what God wants to do and what God has done, said he wants to do is restore, is restore for the glory of his name to show what he's really like. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's handiwork. We are God's handiwork. That Greek word is poema, poema. We are God's created handiwork. And we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Think about this, that God had in his mind before you entered this world, he had in his mind good works, good works that would point to what he's really like in line for you. That you would be given an opportunity to do those good works. And some of us, maybe we're missing them. Maybe we're missing an opportunity to really show what God is like to our coworkers and to our family, to our neighbors, to the people we go to the store with. We're missing an opportunity to show what God is really like through the good works that we do. Good works are not just good works that we say, oh, I gave the homeless guy $5. But we would fight to see people restored, to restore dignity back to people's lives. Truth and freedom and peace, and love, and mercy, reconciliation. These are the things that we fight for, because this is what God fights for. Restoration. Reconciliation. You were made for good works that bring glory to God, his reputation. This looks like restoring others who are poor, and suffering, in bondage, or oppressed. 2 Corinthians 5 says, we are therefore Christ's 
ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal. Like a lawyer does before a judge. That he's making his appeal through us. So he says, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in we might become the righteousness of God. See, on behalf of God's reputation, his glory, there is an appeal for what God is really like through our lives. It's the same thing I'm saying over and over again. It's what Jesus did. His life was an appeal by the Father. This is what I'm really like. This is the culture and the kingdom of heaven on earth. And he does that through our life, our life. Every time we respond to evil, not with evil, but with forgiveness and love, God is making appeal through our lives. We're making space for God to restore and reconcile. Every time we, we suffer and we still walk in peace and love and joy before God, what does God do? And he's making an appeal through us about himself. This is what I'm really like. We're making space for God to reconcile people's hurts back to him when they see you hurt and not run away from God. Every time we, we walk into our job with a grateful attitude before, for God providing for us, what are we doing? We're allowing God to make an appeal through us. Constantly our lives are on display. We are God's ambassadors. And God is making his appeal for the sake of his glory, his reputation about what he's really like. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Everybody say royal priesthood. It's powerful imagery. A holy nation. God's own people. In order what? That you may proclaim the mighty works of him. That the reputation of God would be something that you lived for and bragged about. That you are participating in. We would brag on the God who brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. His marvelous glory, his splendor, his goodness, his dignity. In Christ, we are royal priests. Royal. Authority is restored. We exercise authority and stewardship in a way that displays what God is like. And so now we pray for the sick. We rebuke demons and evil spirits. We speak the truth in love. Why? Because we have authority. And so you no longer see yourself as a victim. You no longer see yourself as just a part of the system. You see yourself as royalty. Who has authority because of the one who owns and everything belongs to. God Almighty. And you don't just live for your reputation. You live for the reputation of God. You represent the king, and you are royalty with authority that God has given. This is why God, this is why Jesus said in Acts 1.8, before he's ascended to the right hand of the Father to make ever, ever intercession for us, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, that you would be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You have authority to go to the ends of the earth, to Walmart, to your neighborhood, to your job, to your in-law's house. Yes, your in-law's house. And you have been given power by the Holy Spirit to see people and relationships and lives brought back 
to the image that God has always wanted for them. Restored and reconciled. You have authority to do that. You'd be amazed. You'd be amazed at what you're capable of doing if you step out in belief in that. You'd be amazed. I was in college, just really getting into the Bible and Christianity. But I just, I have this thing about sickness. I have this thing that just bothered me. And I had a friend, he was sick. I haven't told this story in a long time. And uh, he was sick, and he w- he'd been sick for three or four days, and just couldn't get over it. A stomach bug. He had some other stuff going on. And I remember I went over there and visited, and I was like, hey, man. <laughs> I just, I know it's awkward when you, when you act like royalty and other people don't know that you are. It's awkward, I know. But I acted like royalty. I used the authority that I believe I have in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And I said, that's not okay. That's not okay that you're sick. Let me pray for you. And it wasn't no, it wasn't like any tongue. I mean, it was just, I just literally, it was like a very short, it's like, Jesus, I know that you love this guy. I said his name. And I just pray that you would heal him right now. Nothing happened. Not even, not even two minutes later, he throws up all over the floor. I'm like, oh God, I messed up. What did I do? 30 minutes later, his face is a different color. He feels great. He's eating with us that night. I think we got Taco Bell, which I don't know why he ate Taco Bell in that stuff, but he had Taco Bell. Hey, when you're in college, you know, balling on a dollar. What am, why, am I, why am I telling you that story? Because that's royalty. When you're royalty, you have authority. And when you walk into a room, you have to know that you have that authority in him. Because you know what God's doing. God cares a lot about his reputation. He really wants to show the world what he's really like. And he's in the business of restoring people back to them being image bearers of God. Dignity. And that you could be a part of that. When you know that God's agenda and you can walk in that, you can walk in that truly. You can behave like Jesus. And it's more than just doing the good, your level of good. It's more. It's not being okay with the things of the world. And it's, it's being okay with what God says about it. Does that make sense? And lastly, you are a priesthood. Dignity is restored. We point others to reconcile with God and with others. We see ourselves as God's ambassadors. Priests did one thing. Priests went to God on behalf of others. And that's exactly what we do. We go on behalf of God for others. We intercede for them. We talk up to God about them. Sometimes that's why we even come together as a community. It's not just to get our praise on and just because we're good people who go to church and we're committed. Sometimes we come to church because I need people to come in agreement with me, with the people in my life who are suffering. I need to come together with the other priests that are in the room. And can we go to God together and can we have a moment where we come in agreement? We are a royal priesthood with authority and dignity. And we can boldly come before God. We see our lives as God making an appeal through us. And that's how we live. Behaving like Jesus looks like this. It looks like living for God's reputation and others' restoration. That's what behaving like Jesus is about. It's not not about just being a good person. There's a lot of good people in the world. 
But a disciple of Jesus is not okay by just saying that my, my, my level of morality is good. I'm a good person. I just think about me and mine, and I'm going to heaven. Got my ticket. But to be a disciple of Jesus is to burn with what, what, what he burned for. And he burned for a couple things, didn't he? He burned to do the will of God. He cared about the reputation of the Father, the glory, the doxa of God, to show what God is really like. But he also cared about others being restored. We do good works that bring glory to God, where people would say, wow, that's what God is really like. We go after the poor, the suffering, the bound, the oppressed around our lives, around our sphere. And I'm going to do good works that show what God is really like. That's behaving like Jesus. You're behaving like Jesus when your motive is, God, I care about your reputation. And so I'm going to treat him or her or that person or this person the way you would treat them. And how you treat people is you want to see them restored. You want to see them reconciled back to you and back to one another. That's what you want. So God, I'm going to play a role in that. That right there. That is being like Jesus. That's behaving like Jesus. Mark 20, 12, 29 through 31 says this in closing. It says that Jesus answered, a, a lawyer came up to Jesus and asked him, what's the greatest commandment? Well, about all the commandments, what's the greatest one? And Jesus answered, the first this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. You would love God with all of your life. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The expectation, what God wants from your life is very simple. He wants you to love Him with everything. Simple but it doesn't mean that it's easy. And he wants you to love people. And that's a mark that you're doing the first one right. And really, when we see the life of Jesus, we see, we see that. We see him loving God. We see him loving others. We see him loving God by what? Living for God's reputation. And we see him loving others by living for others' restoration. doing so, we fulfill the heart of God. That you would love me. If you love me, you'll obey me. You'll keep my commands. You'll care about my namesake, my glory. Because it's going to be revealed in all the world one day. I'm going to put on full display the Son of God in His divinity. That's what revelations, eschatology, apocalypse, reveal it, the unveil, that's what it's all about. The unveiling of the Son of God is God. All of, his, all of his glory and splendor. There'll be no denying it. Every single one of us will behold the glory of Jesus Christ. And we have an opportunity right now to show that to others. And that's behaving like Jesus. I want to challenge you with a couple things this week as a disciple of Jesus.
It's very simple. Put in your calendar this week to reach out to someone. Maybe it's someone you know. Maybe someone you don't know. Do both. You know, I've been talking for about an hour now. You know who you need to reach out to. I trust that. And I pray that this week you would be sensitive to your your pace of life. I mean, the softball practice, the basketball, you know, it's like going to work. Like, I'm on 220. This guy just cut me off. Like, just your pace of life, like the people you run with, that you would be really sensitive to that. That what? I I want to live for God's reputation. Am I showing what God is really like? And two, can I see them restored? Restored back to God. Restored to other people in their life. Restored. Reconciled. Second thing is this, I want you to ask yourself, wherever you go this week, it's very, very convicting. Even when you go home, am I showing what God is really like? Ask yourself that question as you go throughout your week this week. This is the mindset of a disciple of Jesus. Someone consumed with wanting to be like him. They're like him, they're asking, am I showing what God is really like? That's living for God's reputation. And do that again. That's a great start. As you're beholding Jesus, thinking about the scriptures, contemplating on them. As you're taking off the veil, as you're belonging to Jesus by repenting, I'm not going the way that I should go. God, you're moving up the standard, and I, I'm moving from one degree, a degree of glory to another. Like, I was okay with this, but now, like, oh, you're moving me up a step. Wow, okay. I actually have to care about what my coworkers think about me. Man. And as, as, as you behave like Jesus, and, and do the reaching to restore. And do it with what, whatever's in your hands. Listen, I'm the most, I am not the most capable person with a hammer and like a wrench. My wife knows that very clearly. But I'll tell you what I can do. I'm a natural encourager. You get a call from me, I'm going to encourage yourself. Like you can like, I got a friend of mine, he's always just like, Alex, you're always like glass half full. I will glass half full you straight up. You're like, I just got in a car wreck. I'm like, hey man, you're going to get stronger through this, okay, I promise you. I can pick you up when you're on the side of the road and you need help. I know how to change a tire. I'm going to help you do that. I'm going to do what I can to see you restored. To show you what God is really like, I'm going to do what I can with what is in my hands, and that's what you can do. 